Hi there and welcome to another interview and today I've got the fantastic Amy with me and I'm going to ask Amy the question, ask absolutely everybody. Hey Amy, why did you become carnivore? I became carnivore uh, basically because life and death, life and death reasons. So I originally uh, started eating carnivore because my kidneys were failing I went to get some blood work done. I was metabolically unhealthy, overweight, but other than that, had no idea anything was going on. And my doctor brought me in and said, you have the blood work of a 90-year-old. What's going on? And I thought, I have no idea. And I didn't. After that, I had to go back every three weeks. It was my kidneys, my... uh my platelet count. I had a cardiophrenic fat pad around my heart. I was not yet pre-diabetic, but I was almost there. I did feel not great. So in the course of that testing, she uh, proceeded to refer me out. I also had to get some autoimmune testing done. And I also uh, came back with kidney kidney numbers that were continuing to go down. Stage three kidney disease is what I ended up with. So in the course of that, it took about three months. I had done some research and I had found uh, Dr. Fung and his fasting. And I had also found some people who had talked about eating only meat and animal fat. That is not a an intuitive direction to go when you have kidney disease. But for some reason, that really spoke to me, and I had even found one person that had eaten meat and fat and healed their their kidneys. So I decided I would go ahead and give that a shot. I joined Dr. Fung's private little group. It was like 30 bucks a month, and uh, I went to all the meetings, did all the trainings to learn how to fast. I read his book, and I started to fast. I also started eating ribeyes and I did that. It was not easy. Uh, It was not easy to just eat ribeyes because my sugar addiction, my food addiction, my stress relief, I had to wipe all that out and it was difficult. But the fasting community in Dr. Fung's fasting group was helpful and I did find relief when I was fasting because I didn't have to think about food. Even though I was I was suffering through the fast, I didn't know how to really eat well before my fast at that time. I was suffering through them, but I still didn't have the mental the mental challenge of trying to relieve my stress with sugar. And then the whole ribeye thing, I didn't cook my meat as well as I do now. I it didn't taste as great as I've learned how to do now. So it was a struggle, but my, I was supposed to go in for another round of tests. And I asked my, my doctor if I could have a month and not get any testing. And during that month, I faithfully ate only ribeyes, did my fasting and not a ton of fasting. I think the longest fast I did was a three day and the rest of them were 24 hour fasts. So it wasn't, incredibly aggressive. After that month, I went and got testing and my doctor said, your numbers are going the right direction. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So I felt like a badass. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. So I did. It took about 
three more months, three or four more months, and my numbers improved dramatically. And also <clears throat> my physical, how I was reacting physically was kind of phenomenal because at that time I would take my dog for a walk and I would have to take one of my daughters with me because my legs and my body was so full of uh, weakness. I was full of weakness, full of toxins, I guess, because maybe my, my kidneys weren't filtering them out. My brain was fuzzy. And oftentimes when I was walking, I just felt like I might fall over. And when I was working, I would sit at my desk and work. And I had a lot of difficulty concentrating. And in fact, during that time frame, I made a lot of errors at work that I didn't even know I made. And it is because my my brain and everything was reacting to all of that. And that took a long time to change. Even after my numbers improved, my thinking was still really fuzzy. In fact, I couldn't remember things and my hair was falling out too. So I couldn't remember things. My hair was falling out. And so those were the two kind of measures I was looking at. I would, I would say, okay, uh, who, who I would test myself. I'd say, who's the star of the diehard movies. And if I could remember Bruce Willis starred in the diehard movies, that was a good brain day. And if I couldn't remember, then it was a bad brain day and I'd have to look it up. That's how much my brain was not firing. And then I was also watching my head to see how much hair was falling out. I lost about three quarters of my hair. And when I first, I, I noticed losing hair before I even got my, my blood work done and my doctor freaked out. And I thought it was a new face cream I was using that was making my hair fall out and I threw it away and it was, it was my kidneys and my health. And it took a long time. My hair is still growing back. Uh, but those, those are two things that I, I watched and I actually continue to watch that. Uh, also my ankles were way swollen up. I was still swollen even after my numbers improved uh, that took a long time. So my numbers improved. Eventually my doctor cleared me. Uh, I went from 40, 46 filtration rate in my kidneys, uh, which is, you can still live, uh, live on that. Like a lot of people with one kidney can live on that. Uh, but it was, con it was probably going to continue to go down. I was going to end up on dialysis eventually. And I went up to 84 and, uh, my, my, uh, all my other numbers improved as well. My cardiophrenic fat pad was gone. Uh, that took a little longer than the four months. It was a uh, blood work or a x-ray or whatever they did later on that showed that. And that was also, uh, she also tested for that recently and, and it's still gone. And so, I got cleared of uh, blood work and I didn't have to go back anymore. And the day, <clears throat> the day that I got cleared of my blood work, the exact day I was sitting at my work desk and I had some gummy bears in my hand and I was looking at them. And I remember thinking, I'm going to eat these gummy bears. And it was not 
a forethought thing. I didn't think about it too deeply. It was almost casual. And I ate them. And in the course of nine months, I gained the 12 pounds or whatever uh, measly amount that I had lost. I gained the 12 pounds back and 30 pounds more. I went all the way back to uh, my stress relief method of using sugar to relieve my stress, even though I had just saved my life, basically. I went all the way back and I didn't really think about it uh, for, during that nine months. It happened gradually. I didn't really say, hey, whoa, don't be stupid. I didn't I didn't have any kind of talks with myself or or anything of that nature. And it occurred to me, it was June and July, uh, I, I kind of started thinking, I wonder uh, what's going on with my health. And I took my daughter to my same doctor to have her checkup. And I used their scale where I had weighed myself many times. And so I got on the scale, weighed myself, and saw that I was almost 200 pounds and had drastically changed what I had weighed before. And I thought, oh, that's going to show up in my blood work. And I thought, am I going to be able to see my grandkids someday or even play with them? Am I going to be able to care for my parents as they age? Is someone going to have to take care of me? Do I really want that kind of life or am I willing to bite the bullet here and, and do what I'm what I know I need to do? <clears throat> I and why in the heck did this happen after I just saved my life? And so so basically, I decided on August 1, I'd go carnivore. And I was really scared at that point because I didn't know if I was going to be able to stick with it. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't understand why I had no willpower. And now being in the community and everything, I know this is so common where people just, you you know, you see it, Stephen, people come in and out and they don't, I mean, they might come back, they might not. And for me, I know that a bite of sugar means I might never come back. I might not have that chance. And so that's what, I, that's what happened to me during that nine months is I ate those gummy bears uh, and I didn't come back until I got scared again. And so when that, when I started carnivore again, uh, I had on August one, I had during that nine months kind of half-heartedly tried to go carnivore and could do it. So <clears throat> I always tell this part to people because you're not a superstar on day one of carnivore. You know, you're not like, that's not how it works. You have bridges. So August one, I decided I did three things differently. I took some uh, uh, an enzyme. I had, took an enzyme every time I ate for a while. I used an enzyme called lipase, so I wouldn't have to deal with the digestive diarrhea and everything. And that's a game changer. And I didn't need it after about a month. The second thing I did was I never really was a diet soda drinker or artificial sugar user, but I did use an electrolyte drink that was flavored and <clears throat> had some artificial sugar in it. And I used that for the first three months. Also, I think that helped me. And the third thing I did was 
every single time I would have a sugar craving, which was often and very intense after I'd have a meal, I would eat about a little over a quarter of a block of cream cheese. And I would just heat it in the microwave with a little bit of cinnamon and sometimes a little bit of artificial sugar. And I would eat that and I could feel my my sugar craving just go down like that. And so for the first three months, that's what I did. And I was miserable. I was fatigued. All the stuff that happens when your body's changing energy modes. I was lonely. It's lonely when you start carnivore. You're still really fat and feel like hell. You don't have a lot of people that are walking up to you saying you look great because you don't yet. You still look like hell. So I binge watched Laura Spath videos. I watched every single thing because I could really relate to her, uh, her sugar addiction. When she talks about like Easter time, she'd go out and buy all of her favorite candy. That was me. Uh, All of her failed attempts at dieting me. Uh, And so I watched everything I could of hers. She was my friend during that time. I just suffered through. So at the end of the three months, right before that mark hit, I drank my electrolyte drink. I had my cream cheese with the artificial sugar. And I thought, wow, this doesn't taste very good. And it didn't. The artificial sugar tasted too sweet to me. Uh, I didn't want it anymore. I was shocked. I also had a feeling of kind of kind of loss and grief at that time because for me, um, when you use a, a certain thing to get you through a day, a work day or a stressful situation and you say goodbye to it, uh, that's like saying goodbye to a friend almost. And I remember feeling a little bit sad that I didn't like it anymore, which is nonsensical, but that's how I felt. So I stopped having that and I haven't had it since. I haven't had sugar cravings since actually, since that time, this entire year, um, since the three months was up, I have not had sugar cravings. Um, I have, if I have a little discomfort, I might grab some cream cheese and just eat a little bit of cream cheese. But the true sugar cravings I had in the first three months have been gone. I mostly eat steak and ground beef. I don't add a lot of fat. Uh, But if I do, I'll add some butter and I eat chicken wings. uh, I eat pulled pork. I experiment with eggs, all the things that the carnivores do during this time. Like people talk about cheating on your carnivore diet. I've not had any sugar, but I have had uh, like I'll have uh, some cashews that have no oils on them that are are roasted and when I did that, I was I was like, well, is this going to how's this going to impact me? I find that it didn't make me have any cravings or anything. I think it's a mental thing. Like Laura Spath, uh, she still has a Diet Coke every day. And the reason I bring that up and carnivores don't talk about this. She still has her mentality. She still has who she was all those years, this relatively short period of time. She's been carnivore, which has been carnivore a long time, but she still has a diet Coke every day. And just think about that, how crazy that is in our world where we don't cheat. We don't, you know, we, it's kind of taboo. 
every day at Diet Coke. There's something there and something about that, that she has compromised and settled into that. And that's kind of like my cashews that, uh, there's something there that I haven't let go of or whatever, some kind of psychobabble, psych- psychiatric, you know, something like that. And I don't know what that is, but when I'm not eating those cashews, I'm fully carnivore. So I'm not worried about it. But I still have to be diligent. And the way that I've been able to do that is I remain involved in the community. Uh, I'm in Steak and Butter Gang. I go to Dr. Baker's meetings almost every single morning and I listen, I interact so that my carnivore, my carnivore learning and my carnivore community is right here, right here in front of me all the time. And I'm reminded of it all the time because I'm no longer in life and death, but I could go right back there at any time. So I have to keep it right here in the forefront. And I watch your interviews. I watch all just anything that can keep me there. I do little projects where uh, uh, like right now I'm doing a project, uh, Dr. Omera's protocol where I'm, I'm doing his fasting protocol, sprinting and his, uh, sauna i'm putting these blood flow restrictor things on my tush when i run crazy stuff like that and those little short projects keep me focused for a month or two that's that's where i keep them and that keeps me engaged in the community because it does scare me quite a bit that i would leave and not come back and i don't i don't want to uh to give this up so now that's that's how I handle my addiction is I stay engaged with the community, eat meat and fat, and I love to work out. Amazing. That's brilliant. You see, Amy, that that's that's fabulous. And and you ticked all the boxes of all the things I asked you to talk about. So I, I'm very happy there. And you've you've mentioned a few people. I always like to shout out people. I'm not competitive about other other coaches and other other spaces. So Laura Spath, I'd love to get her on my show because she is very inspirational. I love her honesty actually more than anything. I think you know she's a real deal. I think that's great. Sean's meeting call, Sean Baker. I always say this when his name comes up. Every single day he goes online, he does a meeting and it's really good. And Steak and Butter Gang, so supportive. And 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 everybody that you mentioned there. I think one of the things I very rarely talk a lot. I, I try to do short, sharp questions, but because you gave such a full and fantastic answer, just want to pick up on a couple of things you said. Uh, and I'll try and add a bit of humor, for instance, because you said that, you know, it was life and death. You've saved your life. And then suddenly you're eating sugar again, you know, and it seems crazy. But I tell you, um, years ago, I used to work in smoking cessation. Nobody smokes for their health. You know, it's an addiction. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's very strong. And, and all you're showing, and, and you've know, been doing the rounds for a few years now that sugar addiction is, is stronger than addiction to cocaine and heroin. So 
It's a strong addiction and it does seem nonsensical. I think a word you use there and you've saved your life. And yet there you are a handful of gummy bears and bang, you're back into it. That's addiction. You, and you're fighting that it's a physical, uh, chemical, everybody, you know, if it's a real thing, you can look at functional MRIs and you can see a, an addictive brain is different to a brain that isn't addicted. You can see it light up and that's where this it's, you know, sugar is seven times more uh, addictive than, um, Cocaine. I mean, it possibly isn't seven times, but it lights up seven times as much. So that's that's where that comes from. But I, I liked your one, two, three. You know, you took lipase, you did the electrolyte drink, and you also had the you know the, the cheese as well. And I think these biohacks are really important. So anyone that's sort of militant when they first start being carnivore, they don't understand addiction. And sometimes, like you say, Laura has the, the, the diet coke. If if that's the trade-off for 95% or 99% of her life being carnivore, I totally get it. You know, and if you if you took that away and every, everything else fell apart, you shouldn't be, you know, um, derogatory to someone that's doing something like that. And to be at stage three kidney disease there is just one question i want to ask um and then i'll go back into the sort of things you just spoke about because there will be people saying what were you doing to get to stage three in the first place so what what were you doing i researched that a little bit i never got an answer from my doctors how i ended up there it's my belief that it was the sugar because the onslaught of the sugar, and I'm talking about massive amounts of sugar, like I think I bought a huge box. You know what Sour Patch Kids are, Steve? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I bought like a huge box for Halloween one year, cheaply uh, on Amazon or something. And they were individually wrapped little Sour Patch Kids. And I ate the entire box before Halloween ever even got there. I'd sit at my desk and work and I'd individually unwrap, eat, and I probably ate 30 a day. And so there was constant sugar hitting my organs. And I really believe that it is the sugar that did it because I I have no other explanation other than that. Did you eat a lot of fruit? Did you do other things that you thought were healthy? It was just, or is it just candy? Uh, It was mainly candy. Like sometimes if I wanted that feeling of fullness, I'd eat a big meal, something I really enjoy that has gravy and bread and everything in it, and then eat the sugar. I mean, that's the real kicker, right? Eat like a big meal and then load some sugar on top of it. I didn't do any. I, I I didn't do anything else that might be healthy. I'm and that's me. I'm usually all this way or all that way, and so I never, other than trying to make you know keep my wrinkles at bay at fifty years old, I I, I didn't do anything to improve myself really at all. And I remember at that time before when I realized I. I was almost 200 pounds. I was eating for breakfast. I was eating bagels with a whole bunch of butter and honey. And I I ate the grass-fed butter. And I think, oh, this grass-fed butter is so good for my skin. (laughs) And here I'm just plumping up more and more. But no, I I didn't do anything else. I fully re-embraced my sugar addiction and uh, didn't look back. 
Yeah, and I think um, you mentioned that you put the weight on, but then you lost it again. So you've you've lost in total around 60 pounds. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So it's carnival yeah. for 12 months. We're at, we're at a 12-month carnival anniversary right now because it's August when we're recording this. So it was August uh, 2022 when you went full-on carnivore. And I think um, you also mentioned an interesting thing, which I really want to come back to, and that's the feeling of loss and grief. That's quite – so I, I like the way you've answered the question because, you know, you went carnival because it was a life or death situation, you know, it really was. And loss and grief is another thing. Um, going back to smoking, and I'm sorry for the people that are listening to this as an audio podcast because I'm going to, I've got a prop here, but if someone was trying to get up smoking – just a piece of plastic, which I've got in my fingers now, was sometimes enough to help a person that gave up smoking because they needed that habit of having something in their hands and just not having that one thing. They would say that. They would say, I I feel like there's something missing in my personality. And it seems crazy that it was just holding a cigarette. And I think what you just said about the loss and grief, um, you know, food to some people is a friend, you know, they, it really is. I mean, like Laura was saying about the Diet Coke. So I think it's been brilliant that you've kept the weight off. And and now, and this is very common, isn't it? People get into carnivore and then they get into the crazy fitness things and they go even further. <laughs> <start biohacking. laughs> do, you, do you feel this is going to stick for life, doing this way of uh, eating and living? Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. I, I have no idea. And so what I do is I just think about that day and what I'm doing that day. So I try not to think too much in advance. And that's why I keep my these little fitness projects couple, only a couple months uh, long because I don't know. I, I can only do that day. And that's what I do is that day. And do you have family around you that think you're crazy for doing carnivore or what's the situation? Uh, So my immediate family is very supportive. My extended family uh, is quiet about it. Um, But no, I don't have a support group outside of our carnivore community. Uh, And I have friends. I have friends that uh, are very supportive in the carnivore community that I talk to Roseanne and Carolina and Dennis, who I talk to daily that have the same struggles. And so that helps me, but uh, friends and family know. So my support group is in our community. That's cool. So um, if someone was thinking about carnivore, but they were on the fence, what, what would you say to them about trying it? That, that, that is an interesting question because the whole life and death thing, it's easy to do something kind of aggressive and extreme when you're facing your own death. Uh, 
But when you aren't facing your own death, it is really hard to do something extreme. And so if that person doesn't have a life or death, which they actually probably do, it just hasn't shown up yet if they're a food addict. But if they don't have something like that facing them, then the motivation for eating carnivore is a little bit rough. However, if I were to tell somebody who was on the fence to try it, I would say, just try it for 30 days because oftentimes, and I really, I really see this so much. I know you do, Stephen, that people will come and they'll be gung ho and then, and they might even have a bunch of benefits from, from doing carnivore, but then they fade away and they go back to their old life. And so I would say in that 30 days, not perfection, just progress, little things, uh, you know, give up this first, then that, you know, you might give up seed oils first and that's it. Then you might give up sugar and just uh, something gradual and let your body react. Like my daughter, she tries to eat uh, more. She tries to eat this way. She eats more paleo. And the other day she said uh, that she had lost her taste for something. I can't remember what it was like, like some kind of pasta or something. She lost her taste for it. And I said, well, your taste buds change, you know? So as you go, your body starts to support you, you feel better. So just think about 30 days and stick to 30 days and see what happens if you're going to try it. And fortunately you feel something pretty fast on carnivore because it is a big change. First you feel like hell and then you, you feel better, but it happens quickly. Yeah, I think the hell bit is the withdrawal, isn't it, from from all the junk and yeah. the sugar, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and with the grief and loss, the other thing for me, I don't I don't know if this happens to other people, but when you take away your relief, your thing that you're using for relief, it's also your protector. So you expose yourself. Uh, it's kind of like you hid behind that and now you've exposed yourself to the world. I mean, they're not looking at me, but that's how I'm feeling that I'm exposed and I don't have anything to protect me. And so I have felt that acutely that all my feelings and how I am, I have nothing to hide behind, especially since my appearance is different. Uh, Dr. O'Mara talks about this actually, that he would look when he started doing all this and his face changed so much he'd look in the mirror and he didn't recognize himself and it was uh there's a there's a term for it but he didn't recognize himself and it freaked him out that's exactly what happened to me uh when i look in the mirror like when i turned 50 i also started doing fake eyelashes and going to the tanning salon and uh my appearance has changed so much (laughs) and when i look in the mirror i do not recognize myself and I feel odd. Uh, I feel exposed and it still freaks me out. So it's almost like I'm in the world, but I'm a different person that I don't that I don't recognize. And I don't know how to act or how to be. And I feel I'm a little bit of an introvert. And so I feel very uh, unsure of who I actually am. I have to get to know myself in this new body, new face, so much different. And that's, that has not been a small thing for me to do that. 
Yeah. And I think as an introvert, I want to thank you for doing this because um, you're doing it to help other people that might be in a similar situation. I mean, but, I, you know, people don't believe I'm an introvert, but I, I have a big microphone in front of me because I hide behind it. I don't really like seeing myself on the screen. I certainly don't like hearing my voice, but it is the only way to get the message out there. I feel very passionately about this. It makes people better. Uh, their body composition improves. I mean, you look so much healthier i know it isn't about aesthetics for you but internally you know you are healthier and that does transmit to your outwardly appearance that that definitely is a case when people are feeling happy and their body composition is where they want to be and their organs are functioning correctly and they're in control of um you know, addictive things that are, that are harmful. I didn't say that you're completely free from them. I'm just, you know, in control of them. Then you look better. It really is that simple. And you smile more and you have less wrinkles and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm going to wrap up with the final question. So you've done very well. You can breathe a sigh of relief now because it's all over. But I, I think one of the things you snuck in there, you talk about, um, oh, by the way, I must say that, that Amy sent me, uh, or we were talking beforehand, and she used the phrase fung style fasting, the Jason fung style fasting. I like that. But you said about fasting, you said you didn't eat well before fasting, which is something you didn't know at the time. And that's really fascinating because I'm a big fan of eating enough. So do you, do you want to expand on what you meant by eating well before fasting? Yeah. So uh, when I had joined Steak and Butter Gang, by the way, I did take some of Jane's exercise classes. I love oh, cool. Jane. Um, oh, I'm glad you you like Jane's exercises. For those that don't know, Jane is my wife and she does Pilates and quite a lot of rehab. But anyway, yes, you were talking about fasting and eating well before fasting. So what did you mean by that? So when I joined Steak and Butter King, I learned how to prime, which means I eat really well for days before I fast. And I learned how to do that whole concept of feasting and fasting when i was doing the fung style fasting that component's not in that program and i struggled through my fasts but when i learned how to prime i would eat 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 which isn't easy for me actually because it's so satiating when you're eating carnivore so for me when i am priming when i'm filling my body with food before i fast i'll take five bites every hour the entire day that's how I prime. And that's the only way I can do it or else I won't do it. So now when I, when I do like a, a, a fast, a, anything longer than 48 hours or alternate day fasting, I'll prime, I'll do two days and I'll eat all day, both days, then I'll do my fast. And I make it all the way through my fast with no problem. And it feels very balanced to me, like nothing nothing gets out of whack or get or or distracts me i can get through the fast go back to eating whatever way you know i'm doing at that time and then uh that's how i handle it is i i nourish do a nourished fast i nourish myself before i fast and i the fasting component is very important to me because it gives my brain a rest from thinking about food I'm still a, I'm still a food addict. It's not going to go away. And when I have that time frame of not thinking about food, it's wonderful. 
Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.